1: Welcome into our new hockey podcast here on 1500 ESPN. It is Matt and Judd's hockey adventure. Matthew Collar with you, along with Judd Zolgad. And Judd, now that the football season is over, I'm glad to be given the opportunity to talk some hockey with you.
2: I am just extremely excited that I finally found a kindred spirit who loves the sport (laughs) because, as you might know, Wetmore, Mackie, those guys, ah, not so much with hockey.
1: Yeah, no, not so much. But, you know, I grew up in the western New York, Buffalo area. And I know this is the state of hockey, but those people are pretty nuts about their hockey there as well.
2: And you you out there in listener land might be saying, okay, another hockey podcast, another <laughs> hockey podcast, just what we need. And I'm going to tell you right now, though, this is going to be different because you bring the analytics, that side of, of things, which I do think is one thing in this town that has not been completely explored. And you even on the Monday Mackey and Judge show attempted at least to talk me off the ledge when it came to Jason Pominville 's play, and you did so with a reasoned statistical argument. Yes. Well, first of all, just a little bit
1: on the background with the analytics. Uh, I've written for a number of different analytics websites, including ESPN Insider, writing hockey analytics once a week for them. So I have uh, been studying actually since the days of Moneyball and then kind of transferring that over into the hockey game. So I will tell you then about Jason Pominville since I know that you've been really far down on his play this year, but. The way that I'm looking at Jason Pominville is this, Judd, and let me just—I'll I'll paraphrase you and say it's very simple. If you use <laughs> my favorite line, you can't take my favorite it, <laughs> line. No, it's a—it's an homage. It's more like oh, I appreciate uh, that. Okay, it, it's like if you were a metal band and you played uh, "Sweet Child of Mine," just to say. Oh, I like it. Okay, you know, something like that. Um, well, but with Jason Pominville, there is no question that his cap hit does not justify the type of production that he's had. However, in his current role, though, if we're talking about a third-line winger who's going to produce somewhere in the range of 35 to 40 points this year and be on the right side of the puck, which means more shot attempts for than against when he's on the ice, and is fitting in with the right center, I think he's still a valuable player on a team that has the potential, I will say it, has the potential to win the Stanley Cup. They are in in that conversation of these great teams
2: don't push your luck with me
1: so you don't worry about you don't worry about well this guy's making too much money for what he still produces you just say in terms of how you feel through your first three lines as him as your third line winger you're in pretty decent
2: shape okay i will i will begin to attempt to observe him as that it's just that when you made the trade with with buffalo your old club i actually like that trade My problem is, and I think my fundamental problem with Pominville goes back to this, long-term contracts given out. Jason Pominville had a good season here, and Chuck Fletcher gave him a five-year contract, which didn't kick in until the following year. So it was essentially six years out, and what drives me crazy in sports is the long-term contract that now, if Pominville was signed at a reasonable rate, it'd be fantastic. Third-line, fourth-line guy, that's fine. But when you have these long-term contracts and in this league now, and the one thing is if the Wild is going to, to make a trade to improve itself, it's going to have to give up a player who's contributing because they are right up against the cap. You have to be being conscientious of, of the cap is a complete must, and the problem is very simple. In the NBA, the cap, because of TV just goes up and up and up, and it's fantastic. In the NHL, guess what? In the world of Gary Bettman, who loves his NBC Sports Network deal, the cap doesn't go up. And so the problem that, that I have with contracts like the Pomonville deal is they're given out as long-term deals with no foresight to, to the fact that the TV cash does not go up by that much, and the Canadian dollar crashes once every three or four years. And so that's my problem is it's the poster child for contracts that come back to bite you in the butt.
1: I would say if that move had happened sort of in a bubble not taking into account the window to win for the Wild or the fact that they had spent a ton of money on Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, then I would say, yeah, what a bad contract. What a bad decision for a player at that age when we know guys get to 30 years old in the NHL and they start to fall off the side of a cliff. Many of them have been playing at the highest level for almost 10 years at that point, and usually their production goes down. Jason Pommenville is no different. But when you're making that signing, you're saying to yourself, we're going to be in the playoffs, and we're going to be in the running every single year and we have to do everything we can do, even if it's not a perfect deal for us to try and win when we have Zach Parisi and Ryan Souter because we spent all those money to yeah. bring in, all that money to bring in two elite players to try to win the Stanley Cup with an elite winger and an elite uh defenseman it is Ironic that Parisi is not playing at an elite level this year, and they're the best team in the West. But you make those moves, you sign guys for too much money or too long. And I'll use an example: David Back is signing with Boston. Boston has Hated taken that contract. it is a terrible contract. Hated it. But but you have basically one or two shots left if you're Boston to try and win the Stanley Cup again. Well, Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Tuukka Rask, all their key players, Zdeno Chara, of course. are at their elite level still, their top players still. And as soon as they slip off, your Stanley Cup window is over. So it's almost like, well, then we're going to have to go into a rebuild anyway. So if David Backus isn't playing well four years from now and we're in a rebuild, what does it really matter? And I think the Wild probably look at it a
2: little bit the same way with that Pominville deal. Five-year-plus contracts drive me nuts, too, because in this day and age, they always seem to include the no-move clause, right? No trade, no move, which means when the expansion draft comes, guess what? You're stuck. The I don't know at what point in time that, that GMs started to give out no trades like candy, but they do now. I mean, I think Backus has a full, if I'm not mistaken, a five-year contract from Boston with a full no trade. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is I look at that and, and I say, okay, so if you're the Bruins— and it's two years in, and it's done, you are stuck with Backus. You are stuck. He's a nice player. I like him. But if you look at the amount of no-move, no-trade deals on the wild, it boggles your mind. I mean, I get Parisi suitor. I get that. 13-year deals, you're going to get that. It's crazy, but you're going to get it. But when you start to look down the list of they gave one to Koivu, for instance. They gave one to Pominville. It's like the one thing I would say is if I was GM is, all right, we can potentially talk long-term contract, but I need the opportunity, if there, to at least trade you. Mm-hmm. And now it's like you're completely stuck. And then, as I said, the expansion draft is going to come in June or so. And guess what? You can't even expose those guys without their consent because of those no-move-and-no-trade clauses. Yeah.
1: But the the alternative would have been to lose them and have someone else give them the no trade. I know, but
2: it's it's ridiculous to me.
1: No, it is. And and just, again, like in a bubble, yeah, I would absolutely say, no, you're right, giving players at an older age like that with big cap hits – no trade clauses is not a good play. And a lot of times, these older contracts, these contracts for older guys like Andrew Ladd, who signs with the Islanders and can't score a goal anymore. I mean, you can really see it coming. But the Islanders, that's a different story. That's a team that let a bunch of really good players go and left their one superstar on an island and came into this season with basically no real chance to win the Stanley Cup and gave a seven-year deal to Andrew Ladd when they should have been thinking about, all right, what's the long term since we just lost Kyle Laposo and we also lost Franz Nielsen. Those were two of our top six forwards. What, where are we going to go from here? Um, speaking of Pominville, though, the thing that's come to mind for me with Pominville and why he is still valuable mm-hmm. is because he has a head coach that knows how to use him. And he used to be one of the quickest players in the league. He used to be fast. He used to fly up and down the ice. And not so much. Did he, really? he
2: really did. He was blazing fast. I would have liked to have seen those yes, days. Yes, I don't yes. think I saw them here. No, no, you have he not was, seen them. He here. was he was solid when when he got here and pretty good, but I don't think I've ever seen twenty nine truly flying up and down the wing at the XL Energy Center.
1: If you ask Daniel Alfredson, he will tell you. Really? Okay. Yes. In uh, the uh, which round would it have been? Whatever in in the playoffs, he. Walked around Daniel Alfredson to score a game-winning goal. As the Senators at the yeah, time? Yeah, wow, yeah. Okay. when the Senators were great as one of the like peak moments of Buffalo sports in the last two decades, which there aren't that many. <laughs> I was going to say
2: they're in a there small shoebox.
1: <laughs> yes, they are not that many. But Jason Pominville has one of them, and uh, even when, they're, when they did that All Star drafting thing, you remember that? Oh yeah. Uh, Daniel Alfredson mentioned it when he picked Jason Pominville that Pominville had flown around him so fast, uh, but that speed is not there anymore. So Bruce Boudreaux has decided to play Pominville more minutes with Eric Howla than anybody else on the team, and Howla just so happens to be a blazing fast skater mm-hmm. who does not have unbelievable offensive skill, but you're not asking that third line to have unbelievable offensive skill. You're asking them to control the puck, to make some plays, to score the occasional points, and that's what they can do. And that's why I see Pominville is still having value on the team. And also you you can see the value in having a coach as good as Bruce Boudreau because Pominville. Um, you could see it last year and with other coaches may have just fallen off the map mm-hmm. because his skills weren't what they were uh, once were. Mm-hmm. But now putting him with this young player who's super fast and carries the puck through the neutral zone takes a lot of pressure off Pominville, and you could still get value out of that player. I've
2: got a simple question. If Chuck Fletcher had, when, when he got this job and he went Richards as his first coach and, and then M- Mike Yoke, excuse me, when he got here, if he had said, after after he fired his first coach in in Richards, if he had simply said, you know what, I'm going to go with an experienced head coach like Boudreaux, how much would, would, would this have changed? Because this team has had, and I'm not saying elite talent, this team has had talent for a quite some time. And it is remarkable now when you finally see a coach who can punch the right buttons. And Boudreaux, to his credit, I think the players like him, but he's also not going to put up with their guff. If Parisi or Suter aren't satisfied with, with you know ice time, for instance, he'll talk to them about it. But they used to go upstairs to Fletcher or the owner and complain. And now there is a there is definition in if you have a problem, you go to Boudreaux. And if Pommelville's playing well, you know what? He's second line. If he's not, he's fourth line. I just think it's so intriguing to watch this team now and, and from a year ago, when the younger and older players didn't, didn't get along, didn't basically see eye-to-eye on things, I think it's so intriguing to watch this dynamic now where Boudreaux says, okay, boys, I'm in charge. I care what you think, but we're going to do things my way, as opposed to, oh, boy, if I tick off Zach Parisi, I'm in trouble. Boudreaux has been a great hire and the thing is from the day he got here too he said it's going to take till around christmas for the, for this team to get what i want and 100% right i mean they have they started to kick in right around the time he said because it took them a while to change the system and things like that but i just think the difference in this club as as far as how it's run is completely opposite of a goal.
1: yeah and to your point The problem with hiring experienced coaches, some of them, is that the reason they're still out there is that they had their day. Right. And I think what Chuck Fletcher was looking for is let's find the brightest hockey mind that we can get. Somebody who's really with the now of how teams are playing. And, you know, there were a few interviews that I listened to with Mike Yo, where he talked about analytics and he talked about. The value of puck possession, and he talked about regression to the mean, and like, there's just really intelligent stuff that made me think this is a very bright hockey guy. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't always translate to being the best leader of men. Although you'd say the Yo era was not a complete failure by any means. I I, I don't look at it that way. You win a playoff round, you're in the playoffs consistently, and in contention, it was just
2: as it started to really deteriorate, some of his shortcomings showed up. Every year featured the January meltdown, though. I mean, if you go back and look from his first year to eventually when when he, he was let go last year, every year featured this almost unexplainable just implosion. And now they still got in the playoffs, I think, three of those four years. But it was unbelievable to watch because eventually you just kept saying, how does this happen year after year after year with a smart guy where this team just starts to implode and tail spins and they almost can't stop it.
1: Yeah, and maybe a veteran coach would have made a difference there. It's just... Who were the coaches that were out there? What a rare situation it was recently to have John Tortorella last year just on the market as a free agent. Dan Bilesma picked up in Buffalo, though I haven't been overly impressed with Bilesma's performance in Buffalo. But And, and Bruce Boudreau, like three coaches, two of them with Stanley Cups, another one with an incredible record of success in Bruce Boudreau. It's very rare that you could get that chance. Now maybe you could make an argument for this, that – Teams will improve every position with a free agent except coach. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year yeah, got yeah. they got rid of Lovey Smith because they wanted Dirk Cutter, right? Yeah. What a cool name for a, a football coach, but like they just said, "Yeah, you know what? We're just going to have this guy instead because we like him more." And maybe in the NHL when someone like Bruce Boudreaux comes available, that's a, that's a thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Of just saying like, this, this guy's a great coach, so we're just going to snatch him right up." Yeah. But it isn't that often that someone as talented as as Boudreaux with his background of winning all the way from the ECHL days all the way on up to just be a free agent and and you be one of the teams that's uh, available to get him because you're in your win-now window. It's kind of been a, a, a perfect storm for that. And I right. think his impact, not just in what you're talking about with, you know, we won't see the, the meltdown and we won't see the tail wagging the dog so much. I just think of him as... Finding ways to get everything out of every player. Eric Stahl last year in New York didn't look like he fit in at all, and that's a tough situation. You're coming in from another team as a former, you know, number one superstar guy. He got moved to wing from center. Right, and very, very quickly, only in a couple of games. It wasn't a great situation, but. I look at Jason Zucker as maybe the best example of this, as a guy that we thought, mm, I'm not even sure he's really an NHL player or really has any star potential after scoring a few goals here or there, showing some talent. And now he's one of the best even-strength scorers in the NHL mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are so many of these players on this on this roster. Uh, Jonas Brodin is another great example of a guy who you had – Big questions about what's his future going to look like. And all of a sudden, he's meeting the potential that we thought was always there. And I think that the combination of uh, schematically, systematically, uh, you know, using the defensemen, the, their mobility and
2: things like that, and using Zucker's speed, just taking what guys are good at and utilizing it. Schrader get, gets called up. Now he's a little guy, right? He comes up, plays well. Within that game, he's first line. Yo doesn't do that. Yoda does not demote a veteran, and it's not to say that Schrader wouldn't have played in that game with Yo as coach. He would have, but Yo does not say, okay, you know what? You're playing so well, first line. Uh, more." Charlie Coyle. Charlie Coyle, it drove me absolutely crazy that he would move previously from center to wing to center to wing, and I looked at that guy with that size and said he's a power forward. He is a po- Leave him alone at wing. Guess what now? He's great. He's left alone at wing. Zach Parisi, before the, this trip that they just uh, came back from, Zach Parisi is called in by Boudreaux, and Boudreaux says, "Hey Zach, guess what? You're paid to drive to the net. You're not doing it." Mike Yo doesn't have that conversation. I mean, all of these things are m- might seem small, but they add up. They they and it's because Boudreaux has a definition of what he demands and wants, and. Yo was not a bad coach. He's a very, very smart guy. But I think what what they've got now is they've got a guy who can stand behind that bench and say, if you do this, you play, and if you don't, you don't. Suter, to me, I mean, this guy, this guy is a very good player. This year, he's outstanding. The Question is why? I mean, they, they've they've cut him down on ice time a little bit, but I think the difference now is Suter was so concerned previously about being GM, basically, right? So if things weren't going right, he was complaining, blah, blah, blah. You hire Scott Stevens. Guess what? Scott Stevens is a Hall of Fame bleeping defenseman. Scott, if if you're any player on this team, you look at Stevens and say, that's Scott Stevens, including Suter. So I just think all of the puppet strings being pulled are really being done well and and hockey to me is not it's not like basketball or football where where you come in as a coach and say new system and it takes forever hockey is yes it's about systems more importantly though it's about management of people
1: so question for you because we've spent the first part of this talking about just how good the Wild are and how their coach is the greatest. And uh, I do like him. I could even, could even talk about the wonderful goaltending and uh, Er 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 Eric Stahl's uh, reinvigoration of his career. But let me ask you though, this Judd, what is the weakness on this team? I wrote about it. So you don't have to steal mine or you can. Is there a weakness on this team that needs to be fixed? Because they've gotten to the point in the playoffs where, you know, they're there. They're they're a team that exists that's making the playoffs and is competitive. And you've gotten to that level year after year. But you want to get over that hump. You want to be considered with the Kings and with the Sharks and with the Blackhawks of a legitimate, real contender for the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. So what is standing between... The Minnesota Wild right now and that.
2: Old habits die hard. For me, that that's the key. You still they've got <laughs> um Stall I, I think it has helped. They've but when you watch the wild play at times and Boudreaux cuts it off quicker, but that being said, you've still got some dog in, in this team. Perfect example. Kings game, Saturday. You're up two nothing first period. The Kings the Kings are a good team, I think. They're pretty good. But they also, I think, are, you know, content to say, oh, man, we're down 2-zip. Saturday game, afternoon, ah, we'll cash it in. The Wild stops playing. And so uh, what concerns me is this. What concerns me is as we get into playoff time, if you get in the playoffs and you have guys who start to slough off, Nick for about 28 games or so stood on his head. And, I mean, he was fantastic. MVP type. That's not really him. He's a good goaltender, but he's not—he's not that that guy. So my concern is, if you play good defense in front of Dubnyk, you're fine because he—he'll—he'll he'll help you win games. But if we get to April and May, especially, and you start to say, "Ah, yeah, you know, I mean, we're trying hard, but Devin save us," that's a problem. So my biggest, my biggest concern is has Boudreaux, as the season goes along purged some of the some of the stuff that we've seen previously and you do see it creep back in. I don't I do not think that, that this team is going to go in a rut for 10 or 15 games like they did previously. I do though see enough worrisome things that there's still some progress to be made there. So
1: that's mine. My biggest weakness is just the fourth line in depth on forward. Because I think, Chris I think that people have been pleased with Chris Stewart's play, and they probably shouldn't be. That he has made, in terms of possessing the puck, in terms of the shot attempts that his team gets when he's on the ice, every player that he's been on the ice with is worse playing with him than without him. And that's for his entire career. Explain that more. It's, well, I mean, I think part of it is that he's not very good defensively. People mistake sometimes being big and tough yeah. for being good at defense. Okay. He's not very good defensively. Uh, I think he takes some risks sometimes to be a big hitter. Uh, you'll see players like Steve Otter this way. They lay a lot of hits. Matt Martin. They lay a lot Cal of hits. Kale Clutterbuck. Kale Clutterbuck. Poster child for this. But even though you're laying hits all the time, that doesn't that means you don't have the puck, for one. And it also means probably you're taking some risks to lay punishment on some people, which is not bad. Physical play is great, Mm -hmm. but if you're taking yourself out of the play or out of position to do it, the game is so fast now. It isn't just, "Eh, lay a hit and get back into the play like it might have been 25 years ago. It's you take the time to go out of position to lay a hit into somebody, and all of a sudden they're down the other side of the ice. I think that's one of the issues. I think he just is not a particularly high IQ player overall. Uh, but he's just a—he's a big body, and he's got offensive skill that's always been really exciting to teams. And he's willing to fight, which I think matters to the guys in the room, and I think it probably matters to the coach. I don't think it actually matters really to winning uh, when it comes to the fighting. But you know, you got somebody out there who's who carries a big stick, create some space. Yeah, it's,
2: sure, it can
1: help it, out with that's that. Fine, that's nice. That's all nice to say, but. His goal scoring rate right now, he's not getting a lot of shots on net, but he scored a few goals. Shooting percentage is super high. That's going to come down. But trading him isn't really much of an option, right. and he can be effective if you have a good center playing with him. And right now, they don't have a very good situation with fourth line. the other players on the fourth line. I mean, Schrader can come up and play a little, but he's like a fill-in guy. So you need to find some solutions there, whether that means making a move with one of the the defenseman to beef up the top nine forwards and move someone down to a fourth line role or just adding another type of role player, whether that's coming off of the bottom of some other selling team's roster or even an AHL guy that uh, you've always
2: liked if you're Chuck Fletcher. So, okay, if we play this game, who do you potentially who do you look at trading? And so if if you're Fletcher, you, you can't acquire someone because of the cap pretty much without trading a body away. Who do you look at trading?
1: Do you mean uh, for the scenario that would bring in? Yes. So,
2: so let's, say, let's say you say to yourself, um, we like Chris Stewart, but if we don't get him on a guy on his line to help him, it, it's going to be a problem. So if we're, if we're going to go out and make a trade uh, to get a center for that fourth line, we have to trade X, Y, or Z. Hmm. Which player do you look at trading from this current uh, team or roster?
1: Well, I think the value in terms of the trade market, because
2: that's the thing. Like everyone always
1: wants to trade their junk,
0: of course. But right?
1: Someone else has to want your junk, right? Uh, that was awkward that I said that way. Yeah, I that did. was. But- that came, <laughs> off, that came
2: <laughs> off very, very weird. I'm not going to lie to you. But- <laughs> I thought about it for a second and thought, yeah, no, that was weird. Moving past that. So, what center? What? Who do you give up for a center, Iceman?
1: If you wanted a center to move Howla down to even a fourth line role, which would be if he's your fourth line center, that's a Stanley Cup level team. Last year, the fourth line center on the Pittsburgh
2: Penguins is Matt Cullen, yeah, who scored 16 goals last year. I mean, that's a really and the fourth line in 2017 is not the fourth line of 1995. Yeah, absolutely, it's not embarrassing.
1: Absolutely, you don't just say he's a fourth line player meaning he's replaceable. Yeah. You mean like he's a good NHL player usually, and they don't really have that. Uh, right now, I True. think you look at the defense first because I think that they have three defensemen who are tradable and and have a lot of value and it, you know Marco Scandella is one of them, Brodine is another, and then Matt Dumba too and you, if you picked one of those guys, I think all three of them would have a lot of offers to come in that you could stock up more with the forwards. But the big question there is, why would you want to break up a team that's the
2: best in the West that's, right now? That's my point. Is So you're trying to improve up front, and if you're going to trade a defenseman, if you're Fletcher and you're going to Boudreaux and he's like, what are you going to do? It's got to be a real compelling case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I think more of the route that they would want to go is to just find somebody else who's selling. And we'll see who those teams are going to be. I mean, we know Colorado's selling, but they don't have a lot of depth. I mean, somebody will have a fourth-line player who's fairly cheap, who will act as an improvement? Which is all you're really looking for. It kind of reminds me of like a baseball team that's a playoff team, but has a left fielder right. who can't catch the ball and bats two ten. Mm-hmm. Like that—that's what you have right now on on the bottom line. Like you've yeah, you've got your three, four, five hitters who are all cranking home runs, but when you get to that bot, it's pretty easy to to just roll right through. Mm-hmm. And if they face off with another team that has a really, really good. Fourth line that could be a major disadvantage, even if it's only ten minutes a night. But it still could be a disadvantage. there
2: time, right? Because you'd have yeah. to
1: play more of
2: your top nine forwards than the other team. And the Hawks have done have done that several times, right? I mean, the Blackhawks have traditionally gone out in years they've been good, right, and gotten that exact type of player at the deadline. Mm-hmm. And but their thing is their thing is their depth has been incredible. I mean, when you look at Chicago and the players that they trade. You keep saying to yourself, okay, eventually this has to stop, and it seems year after year after year they don't stop. So, But, yeah, I I see your point uh, with that, that fourth line. What about um, Stahl as well? Because Stahl to me was a guy that we talked about this briefly, but when they signed him, I said to myself, is that a good signing? And I know he came cheap, but he had come from a situation where he got dealt. He went and played for the – Rangers. He didn't play well. He got moved to the wing. Uh, What intrigues me about him is he's been very good. He's got, uh, as as we record this, he's at uh, 12 goals and 22 assists in 39 games. But what really intrigues me about his signing is this. His signing to me has allowed this team to utilize Koivu in the correct way. Two years ago, Koivu drove me nuts. And my perception was it was always like it's Miko. He's our top center. He's gotta be the top center. He's gotta start. He has to do this. And it wasn't that you looked at him and said he's a terrible player. You just said this is not this is a two or a three, probably a two. Uh and to me what the stall signing has done, which has been so important, is it's allowed you to put Koivu in the proper place and that Koivu line has been fantastic. I mean they've been really good.
1: Yeah, no, and that's been one of the biggest problems with the wild really during this run of first-round eliminations, I guess you would call it, or the Parisi-Suter era, has been, yeah, so if you have a winger as your true key player, it's very, very hard to compete with the other great teams because you're going to have to beat Joe Thornton. You're going to have to beat Jonathan Taves. You're going to have to beat Ryan Getzlaff. Like, there's all these guys just come in waves in the Western Conference. I didn't even mention Anzi Kopitar. Like when you play a series against Jonathan Taves, who I know is not having the greatest year this year, though is an all-star, which I know yeah. gets uh sticks in your craw a bit, but in in Jonathan Taves's prime at his absolute best, throwing out a second line caliber center or a couple of second line caliber centers against him, you're just asking to get destroyed when they have Patrick King coming out on their second line and him on your first line. Mm -hmm. And now to have a player, and I think that Eric Stahl is a lot more capable as as an all-around player than people give him credit for for one like watching him up close I've been very impressed all season with his two-way play which I didn't think
2: I was going to be. He's not fast but he's very solid.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he he loves to pickpocket people and yep. he seems to like even though right He's a he's, smart player. Yeah, he's a smart player even though he's not the quickest. But having that caliber of player cuz I think even just around the league he was, he was down in Carolina, but people still said, now that's a star player, though. I mean, that's a guy who was a number 1 overall right. draft pick. To have that level of talent, it might not still reach Anze Kopitar, who's like a top three player in the league, or it might not reach Ryan Getzlaff, right. but it's a lot closer. And then when the other team runs out their second-line center, Ryan Kessler against uh, Koivu, you you feel okay with that. You don't feel like you're not going
2: to get blown away right, by that. Right. You don't yeah. feel like we're getting destroyed at the center position all the yeah. time. They took uh, the the Wild took the Blackhawks to 6 games in the first round, was it? 2 years, 3 3 years back. And actually in that series it, it's it's where Halla played fantastic. Yes, yes. Halla and what they did was they put Halla on taze. But They they just told him, basically, don't worry about scoring. Don't worry about a thing. And he was great. And that's the first time, because up until then, he he had sort of been this sporadic, sporadic, he's fast, but is he that good? That was the first series where you said, there's something here. Then, unfortunately, he came back the next year and I think felt this inherent pressure to score more and improve his game. And so he took a step back at that point. But – Yeah, I mean, Tay's Tay's alone, though, in watching him in previous playoff series, is the type of player where you say, this is what a number one center and a special player does. I don't know that the Wild has that, but I think what Boudreaux embraces is the fact that they have different components that can beat teams. Mm -hmm. And I always always felt um, that Yo sort of got overwhelmed at times. Boudreaux never does. At least it doesn't appear he does. Boudreaux always seems to be in control, and Boudreaux seems to say, instead of saying, Man, I don't have Ovechkin here. It's too, you know, this stinks. He says, Okay, I don't have that. What can I do to compensate? Big difference there.
1: And, and the other thing is, you said that, yeah, they don't have a truly special player. Sidney Crosby is not playing for this team. Right. Stalls much closer than they have been. If you're. I'm not saying I'm not putting Parisi aside for his peak, but he has not been an elite player for some time. I mean, he is just at this point in his career, he is like Pominville in a different way, like way overpaid for what he brings. He's got a bad back. But still but still brings quite a bit to the table in his best days. He's a top five player in the NHL. But right now he is an average second line winger. Who works really hard and is a great is going to be a great player to have in the playoffs. But in terms of his production and, w- and what he brings to a team, yeah. that's where that's why you need Eric Stahl uh, in this lineup, a top center who yeah. is much closer to the number one centers in the league who can carry you at times. Which I think he still can. Looking at a play, unless something changes, I'm seeing a player who can still at times. Carry you and have a, have a huge series and mat, match up with the other team's best players. Sure. Like, I have liked his game
2: that no, much. No, it's been good. Um, I, I'm very intrigued by the fact that Boudreaux had to meet with Parisi about going to the net. Zach Parisi's life has been, his career has been made not by the fact that, that he's a phenomenal talent, his career and money has been made by the fact that he has a lot of talent and works his butt off. I mean, Zach Parisi, his whole career has worked like a fourth line wing. Uh, I find it intriguing then that Boutreau had to talk to him about something that Parisi always has done. That concerns me based on this. He had a bad back. He didn't have surgery after last year. He's played through it. He says it's fine. But i got to think the only reason why he would be resistant, right, about going to the net, because you get your butt beat up there, the only reason why Zach would say I'm not going to to do that as much and play outside more is based on the fact that that back is still not great. So that's the one. That's the because there's no way with, with the way that he's worked throughout his career that he just decided consciously. You know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm going to be out by the corners from now on. The perimeter. He clearly, I think, is concerned. That worries me about that because that contract collar. If you look at that thing, she ain't ending soon. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. a 13 year puppy. Yeah. That is going to go on and on and on. Suter looks great right now, and that's fantastic. But the whole Parisi uh, dynamic does scare me a little bit. You
1: know what they would be wise to do? I think Boudreaux? I don't know if he'll do this or not, but would be give some give some rest games to Zach Parisi. I mean, if they if they are out, if they are <laughs> out in front, you're opening Pandora's box I, on that. I, I know, but if you look at the NBA and what uh, Golden State does and what san antonio did for a long time why wouldn't that apply to hockey that it's a long season it's 82 games it's and a, it's the same thing yeah pick, oh no you're right picking about that. your spots on yes. some back-to-backs to give a guy a rest i also think that like hockey fans it's so much it's so much more about the team than it is individual players that yes. you go to see they'll be much more accepting of oh well i didn't see can you imagine Zach
2: can you imagine if you went to a penguins game here and they arbitrarily Scratch Sidney Crosby <laughs> or okay, Malkin. He's the exception, yeah. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. It's the world is so different there that, that you know. I mean, if you went to a Blackhawks game and all of a sudden they just said, uh, you know what, we're resting Jonathan Taylor You might say, yes, great. But the league would, but the fans in, in the building would be so ticked off. So Maybe, or the fans would in the building would say. It's a good idea on Parisi, but good. Parisi, but Parisi doesn't like to sit out practices. Now, once yeah. again, this gets back to the coach has control. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, just, I find it, I find the story itself that Boudreaux had to meet with Zach about that to be tip of the iceberg stuff because there's no way that Boudreaux had to remind Zach of what Zach does well.
1: Yeah, and I think if he wants to get the message across, he should say, do you think Tim Duncan is good? Because they did this with Tim Duncan, and he's one that's of a really
2: the, that's an interesting yeah, he,
1: he is one of the greatest players to ever play basketball, and Tim Duncan was accepting of ha- having to sit out some games, and at the end of the year he if you play parisi. 65 games instead of 82. Do you get better value in those 65 games than a worn out guy? And, and is he better in the player with a bad back? Yeah, yeah, he might be. And that's the way that I would look at it. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure episode one here. Very exciting. Day. Um, the the All Star thing. Yes.
2: What? Why are you so mad about the All Star thing? Okay, I'm not that mad. <laughs> Dubnik and Suter are going, all-star game January 29th uh, in Los Angeles. It's now, what, a three-on-three tournament? I believe it's two conferences against each other. It's something. Uh, is, it,
1: is it on an aircraft carrier? I don't know. What, anyway, What's the gimmick this year?
2: Anyway, here's, here's what gets me, though. Jonathan Tays, who I, I love. I mean, he's a hell of a player. But he has played in 34 games this year. He has seven goals, 13 assists for 20 points. That's a very average. Parisi, eight goals, 20 points. Zach Parise, nowhere near an all-star for 2016-17. Uh, you got Eric Stahl, 35 points, 13 goals. Charlie Coyle, 32 points. Granlin, 31 points. Koivu, my point is you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. You've got seven wild players who have more points than Taze, and Taze is going, these popularity contests do drive me crazy. <laughs> and I, I, In my heart, I don't care that much, but the whole fan thing of, oh, I think I'll vote for Jonathan Taze since I know who he is let's put players that at least deserve it in the all-star game. And if you're Jonathan Tays and you're having a year in which you have 20 points and seven goals, you just don't deserve to go. And he knows that he talked about it. Mm -hmm. So that's why it just sort of, it doesn't irritate me. It just sort of just mildly gnaws at my craw that he's going.
1: (laughs) I think, Stahl has a great case for it. 35 points in 39 games is just fantastic. And the way he's bounced back from. That's what I was going to say. Tough, yeah. I mean, like, he's if, if anybody. Back. Right. If anybody deserves to be acknowledged for that, then yeah. it's him. And he, and he has played better than. Jonathan Taves, everyone will always talk about the two way play. And the two way play is phenomenal. It's what wins you Stanley Cups. But if, if you're really, really short in
2: the scoring area,
1: I mean, the All Star game is kind of for the, the excitement for you're the scores. Play on the Blackhawks.
2: Yeah. Oh, and last thing, too, Twitter world. Let's get one thing straight. Oh, boy. Ryan Suter on Saturday against the Kings didn't have a good game. I get that, okay? But would you people on Twitter stop with this, there goes Suter again 13 years? I understand the frustration of those two contracts. Now, one, from day one of those contracts for Parisi and Suter, I was on board because it was fun and exciting. But that being said, Ryan Suter is having a Norris Trophy-like season. So, can we please, when he has a bad game, knock it out? The puck went off his face shield and in. Yes, it's an all goal. It's unfortunate and untimely. But this whole narrative that started Saturday of, well, there's Suter taking up too much ice time and being lazy, he's been phenomenal. I mean, Matthew, he's been statistically, analytically, eye test, anything that you use, Ryan Souter has been outstanding.
1: I will tell you all about Ryan Suter's analytics on the next episode. It's a tease. It's a tease to the next. We could talk about Judge Hockey Adventure. Yes, yes, we'll have a lot to continue to talk about. That'll be one of the things Ryan Suter and where he ranks uh, analytically and by the eye test among some of the NHL defensemen. Is he is
2: he good enough to win you a Stanley Cup as a number one? That's what. And I also want you to tell me how long you think he can continue at an elite pace because we already know Zach Parisi. No longer at an elite pace. Yeah, That's, that, that we know.
1: That is a very, very good question. Well, we'll do that the next time on Matt and
2: Hockey Adventure. We'll catch
1: you next time.
0: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The College Football Playoff Committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the College Football Playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama.